This is mutual. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Chapter 14 The day felt like a whirlwind to Kit Baxter. There were other travelers seeing the sights of Luxor, of course. Most of the people in the crowds were either there to see the wonders or to sell something to the people seeing the wonders, but Kit didn't really notice any of them. She was awestruck at the enormity of her surroundings, at the fact that people had made such things with their own hands, and at how very long ago they had done so. She felt like she was on an alien world somewhere, and for a time she allowed herself to be entirely distracted. The Red Panda was clearly enjoying himself playing guide. In his supposedly misspent youth he had traveled the world, but all that time he had been gathering the training he needed to start his crime-fighting career. Kit had no idea that he'd even been to Egypt, but he plainly had, as he waved his hands about, speaking of history and architecture and hieroglyphs and all sorts of other things that flew past Kit in a blur. She watched him talking as they walked down the narrow street. He was in a white linen suit in deference to the heat, with a white Panama hat upon his head. August Fenwick usually wore browns or blacks, if only to stay away from his alter ego's all-gray color scheme. But today... He not only looked different, he was different. Thousands of miles away from home, he felt no need to put on the wealthy, foolish Pratt attitude that served as his best disguise. He was calm and in good spirits, and slightly in love with the sound of his own voice, which was fine, because so was she. Kit wondered if this was what August Fenwick was actually like, and if she would ever know for sure. She sensed movement in a stand of palm trees beside them as they passed, and leaned in slightly toward him, not wanting to break the spell. Boss, she said, in the trees. Not now, he smiled. I've been saving this one all morning. They rounded the corner past the palm trees, and she suddenly saw what he had been talking about. It was a row of sphinxes. There had to be thirty or forty of them at least, all guarding the path that led past crumbled walls to the left toward an enormous temple. There were two seated statues, one on either side of the gap in the great wall of the temple building itself, and while they were still too far away to tell, it seemed to Kit that they had to be at least fifty feet tall. He was already talking about the enormous obelisk in front of the temple, and what it was made of, and what it signified, and she supposed she ought to be listening, but she only had eyes for the sphinxes. She had seen pictures of the enormous one on the Giza Plain, and, and these were much smaller, but there were so many of them, and they seemed to stretch down the road beyond. It made them seem somehow more real. Some were broken, of course, and where faces and details had been replaced by crumbling sandstone, the illusion was broken. But if she did not look too closely, she could imagine them to be a pack of fantastic animals descending upon them. It was then that she realized what she had seen moving in the trees— she saw him again, stepping casually out from between two sphinxes. She stumbled slightly as she turned and grabbed onto Fenwick's arm to steady herself, as if by automatic reaction his elbow lifted slightly, presenting her with a small crook to hold onto if she liked. She wondered exactly how she could do this and make it look like she just sort of forgot to let go of his arm. 
who are they supposed to be right now, exactly? Did it matter if they went about arm-in-arm? She decided that it didn't, just as she remembered what had caused her to stumble in the first place. Uh, Boss, she said, it's one of our playmates from the hotel last night. Where, he said, looking at the obelisk and pointing as if he were pontificating. By the sphinxes to the right, she said, about thirty feet back. Good, he said. Good? I don't mind being watched, he said. But I dislike it when I can't watch the watchers. The last one dropped back ten minutes ago. The last one, she asked, her brows furrowed crossly. We've been under observation since we left the hotel. He smiled at her, as if he were discussing something extremely trivial, and she saw the August Fenwick mask come up as he did so out of long habit. "'Why didn't you say something?' she hissed. "'I assumed you knew,' he said. "'Besides, we were having a very pleasant morning, and I didn't wish to disturb it.' Kit Baxter's head whirled as I got closer to the temple entrance. "'Didn't want to spoil our special time being stalked by killers?' "'I haven't seen anything from this crew that says you and I can't handle them,' the Red Panda smiled. "'It's their masters with the magic powers that we're ill-equipped to deal with, "'and I'm operating under the assumption that they won't try anything in these crowds in the middle of the day. "'They're waiting for us to make a move.' "'And we are?' she asked, trailing off. "'Boring them to tears, I should expect,' he said, "'and waiting for Max to make a move.' "'She started to turn her head.' but he gave her hand a squeeze with the crook of his arm, the first sign she had that he was even aware of their proximity. "'Don't bother,' he said. "'I've got him. "'Don't miss the temple over this. It, "'It really is amazing. "'They're still in the process of excavating it. "'It used to be almost entirely buried "'under all of the cities that have been here since it was Thebes.' But "'We're just supposed to keep sightseeing?' she protested. He shrugged. "'Who knows if we'll ever get back here?' he said. "'You always say I never take you anywhere.' She was pretty sure that she had only said that once, and it was in jest, but it was nice to know that he had been listening. "'I was just kind of hoping for the pictures,' she mumbled. "'I didn't say nothing about assassins.' "'You love it,' he said. "'If we weren't constantly in mortal danger, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves.' She set her second hand on his arm as well and looked up at him, just for an instant. "'What to do with ourselves?' What she didn't know, she bet she could learn pretty quickly, given the opportunity, but she decided not to say so. If he wanted to show her the sights of ancient Thebes, she could do that. The temple was an enormous, sprawling thing inside that just seemed to go on and on. Kit was swept up in the wonder of it all, but she wasn't quite able to turn off the flying squirrel senses now that they had been awakened. It became clear to her that there were in fact three of Elnimer's men in the temple with him if Elnimer was still in charge of them, or even still alive. His screams last night had been terrible things, and she could only guess at what Thatcher had done to him. Magic gave her the creeps. She and the boss could outthink and outfight just about anything, but there didn't seem to be a way around this hocus-pocus. Out of the corner of her eye she spotted something else. A young Egyptian boy who shrank back into the shadows as she turned, but did not disappear entirely or avoid her gaze. He looked to be about nine or ten, poor but not desperate, and he was afraid that much she could see. "'Red Panda,' she said, interrupting his discourse on Amenhotep's colonnade, "'boy in the shadows, four o'clock.' "'Oh, yes?' he asked without turning. "'He doesn't belong. Local, poor, not selling anything,' she said. "'And I've seen him earlier today, I'm sure of it.' "'Where?' he asked. "'Don't know,' she admitted. 
but I'm sure of it. He sees us, and he sees our shadows, and he's biding his time. That's my guess. He nodded. Good enough. Follow my lead, he said. They walked quietly for another moment, then suddenly broke into a run, turning a corner and ducking immediately behind an enormous sandstone column. He held his hand aloft and closed his eyes in concentration, reaching out with the tendrils of his mind. Their three pursuers rounded the corner at full speed and stopped. For just an instant, before running ahead with an excited cry, each of them convinced that they could see their quarry just ahead in the distance. The two of them stood in silence another moment before the young boy Kit had spotted also ran around the corner, more tentatively, but still quickly. He looked from side to side almost hopelessly at seeing no sign of his quarry. Kit whistled at him from the shadows and he turned, his eyes opening wide in amazement and grinning broadly at the sight of them. "'I get the feeling this one is all right,' the red panda said, waving the boy over. "'If he isn't, I quit,' she said seriously. The boy spoke no English, or if he did, he didn't speak any to them. He led them quickly and furtively away from the well-trod paths filled with tourists into the narrow streets and slums of the city. The red panda was certain that they had lost their pursuers, but knew they couldn't stand out much more in these surroundings than if they had been, well, if they had been a six-foot-four man in a white suit and a hat traveling with a beautiful redhead. There didn't seem to be anything more alien to their surroundings to compare it to. The boy led them down an alley to the back door of a shuttered building and gestured that they should enter. He smiled again, pleased with his success, and his grin was an infectious one. Kit looked at her boss. If this is a trap, she said, it's a good one, and opened the door. The inside of the broken building was surprisingly cool, but maybe that was only after a morning spent in the desert sun. There were cracks between the boards covering the windows, but after the stunningly bright sunlight outside, the darkness seemed so complete that it almost appeared blue for a moment. In the corner, a patch of the darkness seemed to shift and move, Kit settled back into an action stance and pulled the crimson boomerang from her sleeve, ready to throw it at the next thing that moved. "'That won't be necessary,' a familiar voice said from the shadows, and Kit gasped in joy in spite of herself. "'I see you got my note,' the stranger said. <laughs> In Bard Studios. The purest, most unadulterated expression of freedom lies entirely in the act of murder. Did that get your attention? My priorities are frack. Screw that just a month ago I technically died. You scoped that, did you? That part about me being dead? But for the entire three minutes and 33 seconds I was dead, I was aware. I recognized that there was nothing. I have a memory of an awareness that was not mine. So rules call, yep, says right here, you are not swag. You, sir, are a neon hipster. So yeah, that's Marcus. I trust this guy with my life. I've been losing myself. 
words. Which means that I, Marcus, look at... Oh! Marcus! No! What? Marcus! I've been fighting myself The one that I've become I cannot say I even truly realized what happened, but I can remember it now. It was the first time I actually saw my powers at work. Yeah, I did just say powers. Stay with me. What the hell are you? You may call me Winter, and I am the only one who can keep Quarren safe. On the dogs. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the end-of-the-week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of F's. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.